atheist making Bible verses you need to know. Atheist making Bible verses you need to know. That's the title of the article over with our friends at uh, apologeticspress.org. And this is our Topical Thursday Early Bird Podcast Sessions. Stefan Maillet with you. AddedSouls.com is the website. I labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ over here in New Brunswick, Canada. You can check out the .com. And if you would, please consider signing up to AddedSouls.locals.com. It's a freedom community. There is exclusive content. No amount is too low. No amount is too high upon the support you send our way. Through the Maya family, of course, operating with the Added Souls Ministry and the wonderful mission of the East Coast Church of Christ. So, uh, yeah, once again, we go and find a uh, an article uh, from our friends over at ApologeticsPress.org titled, Atheist Making Bible Verses You Need to Know. And, uh, yeah, it's an important discussion to have on our Topical Thursday because, well, we live in a godless world. Individuals do not, no longer believe in God. And so we uh, need to reason with each other as to why. In my past life, obviously, I entertained the thought and most certainly lived uh, <laughs> with the worldview principles of heathen, Gentile, pagan ways. And... Um, the thought, of course, that there is nothing out there. There is no God. Why would one God be better than another anyways? There are so many gods. Um, you know, there's just no such thing. Well, I made the mistake of having an honest and humble heart to ask questions and seek answers, just to see if those pesky, crazy Christians actually had any answers to anything they were spewing out of their foul, mythical lies, you know. Well, lo and behold, uh, most I, I found out that most individuals and in churches that call themselves Christian organizations or Christian individuals are actually not. See, that was one of those stepping stones. They're moving forward and receiving the answers to the questions I had was to come face to face with the fact that most who call themselves Christians aren't really Christians and they don't represent the truth of Christianity. And uh, that the ocean of churches out there that are filled with some decent people, absolutely, are not adhering to the doctrine of our Lord and Master, the true, pure, unadulterated teaching of our Lord and Master and life of Christian um, principle. So once you kind of recognize that, you're like, oh, okay. See, all along I thought these people who were claiming Christianity in these churches claiming Christianity were indeed Christians and representing what, what Jesus truly taught. And I'm like, no, they don't. Oh, that makes sense now. Now it's starting to make a lot more sense. And of course, was Jesus real? You know, all that kind of stuff. Many questions. Anywho, a small portion branch of discussion this day in regards to a location we would often go in the scriptures to prove, right? Oh, look, aha, see, this verse says that. And so it proves there is no God. But is that the case? Is that true? Was that real? Again, if you have an honest heart, you know, just a genuine, humble heart wanting to know the answers, you follow that train of thought, you go down that hole, man, you'll find the rabbit. He's there. <laughs> 
the answers are there. Uh, and so uh, a portion of that, of course, is in discussion this morning as we uh, tap into our friend Eric Lyons, who wrote this wonderful article for ApologeticsPress.org, Atheist Making Bible Verses You Need to Know. As Christians, we need to know these things. We need to be able to recognize the truth and defend it. You know, Christianity is an educated religion. That's what kind of separates true Christians from those of the world fabricated with the image they've created through selfish ambition and that not of the pure image in which is written by the Holy Spirit, the 66 books of the Holy Bible. Atheist making Bible verses you need to know. By all means, my dear friends, please consider subscribing. Subscribe, follow, like, share, drop a comment. Those things help support the Added Souls Ministry and uh, this studio to keep producing. It puts food on the table. It's how we, quote-unquote, build tents. And uh, to do that, you can sign up to addedsouls.locals.com. There's also the PayPal option, and you can reach out to me if you seek a physical address. Uh, we'd love to have you partake in this wonderful stuff. So atheists making Bible verses, you need to know. Let's just start reading, and we'll see what's going on here. The article in brief, of course, it recognizes and reveals, No lie is more dangerous than that told by many modern atheists, agnostics, and skeptics, that the Bible is not the inspired word of God. And again, I would have... I used to agree with them, and I still agree with them when it is in the perspective of what calls itself Christianity out there. What calls itself Christianity out there in the image of men is not a true representative of what pure, Christ-like uh, uh, teaching and boundary and behavior is found. So to that end, a great many times atheists find themselves kind of floored when I say, I agree with you those out there claiming to be Christians and doing all kinds of uh, things that are uh, at times even evil. Uh, we don't agree with that. We don't adhere to that. The Christ would not as well. It's easy to say stuff, you know, uh, and just get away with it through lip service. Again, Christianity is, a, is an educated religion. You have to look into it a bit deeper. So it continues and says, however, when the biblical criticisms of unbelievers are fairly considered, then the faith of Christians should only grow stronger, and honest unbelievers will see the error of their ways. That's what happened to me. Indeed, the holy, loving, just God of the Bible and the Bible itself stand in perfect harmony. And that is indeed a portion part of this article in which we're going to be looking at together, you and I, as I share some of my experiences and studies throughout the decade plus, alongside Brother Eric and his article over at ApologeticsPress.org. That good? That okay? That makes sense? It says, and I quote, It might surprise some Christians to learn that a number of prominent atheists and agnostics have alleged that, of all things, the Bible, quote, made them unbelievers. I've heard that. I've said that. I don't believe in God because of the Bible. The Bible itself is a walking contradiction. It's filled with errors. It's written by just fanatical, crazy people, you know, in ancient days. And it's just, it's not true. It's a myth. 
Well, according to 20, 20th century British playwright A.A. Milne, 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 author of the Winnie the Pooh books, right? Quote, the Old Testament is responsible for more atheism, agnosticism, and disbelief, disbelief, call it what you will, than any book ever written, end quote. Renowned British uh, agnostics Bert, Bertrand Russell wrote a booklet in 1927 titled, quote, Why I Am Not a Christian, parentheses, which eventually made its way onto the New York Public Library's Books of the Century list. In the pamphlet, Russell commented on Jesus and the Gospel account, saying, quote, I do not believe one can grant either superlative wisdom or the superlative goodness of Christ as depicted in the Gospels. I'm concerned with Christ as his or as he appears in the Gospels, taking the Gospel narrative as it stands, and there one uh, and there one does find some things that do not seem to be very wise. Interesting, isn't it? In more recent times, the article continues, the YouTube channel Big Think featured popular American magician, actor, and entertainer Penn Gillette in a video titled, quote, How Did You Become an Atheist? The video has been viewed over 2.2 million times. In it, Gillette stated, quote, I read the Bible, cover to cover, and I think that anyone who is thinking about maybe being an atheist, if you read the Bible cover to cover, I believe you will emerge from that as an atheist. The Bible itself will turn you atheist faster than anything. End quote. What scriptures do these and other atheists contend? Oh, what scriptures do these? Yeah, okay. What scriptures do these and other atheists contend will turn a Bible reader into an unbeliever? Question mark. What exactly? in the Bible, would turn a person to atheism or agnosticism? Question mark. And this, of course, is what's going to lead into the bulk meat of the article to look at these locations, these verses that would have caused one to become an atheist. Um, again, to the illustration I share commonly on my podcast, two individuals Two individuals from the same community asking the same question. Are there any police officers here? Right? It's the same question. What's the difference? Two individuals, same community, same neighborhood. Same question. Are there any police officers here? Well, one of them's asking that question because his house has been burglarized. So he's seeking public assistance and service from law. The other one, however is seeking to avoid the law because, well, he burglarized his neighbor's house. So you can see the same question can mean two different things completely from the motive of the heart in which it is being asked. Are there discrepancies in the Bible? Are there contradictions? Does the Bible reveal a God of high-handed tyranny and oppression, a monster of sorts? What's going on? Why are we asking the question? If you're asking the question because you're avoiding the law, because you've burglarized your neighbor's house, 
you're not going to find the answers. You never will. You've already hardened your heart to it. You've already made up your mind to it. If you're asking because you genuinely, truly have nothing to lose, because once again, if there are no answers to the questions, man, keep walking the way you've been walking. What's the problem? That's how I saw it anyways. What do I got to lose? All these Christians and Christianity, they're all ridiculous to me, a bunch of foolish people. Let's just hear what they have to say. If what they say is completely ridiculous, I'll be justified to my thoughts. They're all nuts. I want nothing to do with them. And there is no God. However, if there so happens to be logical, scientific, historical evidence pointing to their belief system being credible, well, I've got nothing to lose there either. I'm actually learning something here. It's a scary path, I know, but I want to know the truth. Okay, number one, here it says in the article, Lot offered his daughters to the wicked men of Sodom. No, right? We've read that account. The Bible itself made me an atheist. Lot offered his daughters to the wicked men of Sodom. This is the book you all <laughs> praise and follow. Please, give me a break. Okay, so here's what the article says as we move forward. When Penn Gillette was asked, quote, Why would reading the Bible make you an atheist? He said, quote, Because what we get told about the Bible is a lot of picking and choosing, end quote. He then gave his first actual example of what will make a person an atheist, saying, quote, When you see Lot's daughter gang-raped and beaten by the Lord being okay with that. See? Interesting how they can formulate the words, create a narrative from someone who don't even open the book, right? Someone who's never even opened the Bible but has found great entertainment in watching Penn Jillette on television, I can be easily persuaded to just take his word for it and be like, oh, wow, yeah, that's horrendous. The Bible's evil. Obviously, it's not something we should follow. You see how important independent thought, free thinking comes into play? Yeah, I know what I'm doing there with the wordplay. It is a commonly given phrase from the atheistic community. We're free thinkers. Really? Interesting how we can spew our free-thinking minds while deceivingly oppressed by the small little dungeon we've locked ourselves into. Atheism. Okay, so let's keep reading. Indeed, in an attempt to protect two guests in his house, Lot offered his two daughters to an angry mob of homosexuals in Sodom, saying, quote, See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you will may do to them as you wish, end quote. That's from Genesis 19.8. And even before I continue to read from Brother Eric's article, I will reveal to you my position here with this Bible verse briefly, because I've done numerous podcasts on the session, and I probably, on the topic, and I probably have some more to come in the future, Lord willing. Lot was a man. He was a dad, a father, and he messed up, and he did something he should not have done which is react with emotional fear and uncertainty, being in a frenzy of the hostility taking place. He did something quite foolish, something no father should 
do, which is offer your daughters to an angry, sexually amped and perverted community out there breaking the, wanting to break down your door. No, you don't offer your daughters. That was not something right and good in the eyes of God whatsoever. You should never do that. He did. It's not sanctioned and appropriate. Don't do that. You know, the scriptures do reveal recorded accounts of individuals participating in foolish decisions and sinful activities. It's an inspired book recorded with instances within of individuals who make poor decisions. We need to understand the context of the location and portion of scripture we are reading. You can't just pluck out a verse and say, here you go, and say what Penjolette said. When you see Lot's daughter gang raped and beaten, and the Lord's okay with that. No, you actually won't read that there, in that portion of scripture. That's the whole independent thinking thing. Don't take Penjolette's word for it. Look at it yourself. Matter of that fact, don't take anyone's word for it. Look into it yourself. Okay. The article continues, and I quote, As incomprehensible and detestable as Lot's actions were, there is nothing in Genesis 19 or anywhere in Scripture that indicates God was okay with that, as Gillette contends. There just isn't. It's the same with any other deviancies. For instance, polygamy. God never authorized, promoted, encouraged, found pleasure in polygamy. He suffered long with the corruption of it through the days of old, but it wasn't something that was birthed from the mind of God to have individuals or to have uh, or to deliver, I suppose, suppose or extend permission for. Male, female, husband, wife, two become one. That was the plan from the very beginning. Quite the opposite, in fact, says the article in regards to Jill let uh, Penn, Penn saying that God was okay with that. Quite the opposite, in fact. Genesis 19 actually reveals that the two guests who were really angels, messengers sent by God, did not allow anything to happen to Lot's daughters. Rather, they struck the wicked men of Sodom with blindness and later safely ushered Lot's daughters, parentheses, as well as Lot and his wife, out of the repulsively sinful city prior to God destroying it. Chapter 19, verses 12 through 25. But again, someone who has never opened the book and has found entertainment with Penn Gillette's uh, um, content might deceivingly trust in what he said to be true and therein being led further astray from the truth, right? We have to reason together here, make sense of it. Still, the article says, some find it quite troubling that in the New Testament, Peter uses the term righteous, Three times in 2 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8, to describe Lot, quote, God delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, 
For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Now why did Peter repeatedly call Lot righteous when many see a different picture of Lot in Genesis? Was Lot really righteous? Again, is there a contradiction in the scriptures here? Well, one must keep in mind that though a Bible writer may have recorded specific sins and foolish acts of an individual, such revelation does not mean that the person could not also have been righteous. Christ was the only perfect man ever to live, 2 Corinthians 5.21, 1 Peter 2.22. Though Noah, Abraham, Moses, so on and so forth, were counted faithful, Hebrews 11, verses 7 through 29, they occasionally disobeyed God's will. And you can compare that with Numbers, chapter 20, verses 1 through 12, and acted foolishly or cowardly, comparing that with Genesis, chapter 9, verse 21, chapter 12, verses 12 through 20, and chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Again, you have to... Um, you have to have independent faith. You have to think for yourself and do these studies. God never blessed their disobedience, only their faithfulness. It wasn't like, okay, that let's, let's, um, how should I say? Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Give me a minute here. My brain's blocking. Reward. It wasn't a reward upon them when they acted in disobedience or sinful activities. Uh, foolishness was not rewarded. It was not praised, promoted, encouraged. It was actually quite the opposite, seen and recognized as a bad deal, <laughs> unrighteousness. But what is promoted and encouraged and rewarded is when they lived righteously when they lived righteously. It would be my appeal to my loved ones, those who know me, and my supporters and all who partake and have known me and my family for many years, not to remember me when I depart as some kind of unrighteous evil devil because of the sins that I may have been snared into or the moments of weakness in which I fell into my temptations, or perhaps the times I've spoke or acted unbecoming of a Christian, or perhaps immature. I think in all fairness, we should not be remembered by those moments if we live faithfully towards Christ. We should be remembered as faithful and trying our best and being rewarded for those things we did which were upright. And of course, these spiritual blessings are found only in one spiritual location, in Christ. So we can reason together and understand that. The article continues, God never blessed their disobedience, only their faithfulness. Similarly, just because Peter called Lot righteous does not mean that Lot was perfect. Even the apostle Peter, who also served as an elder in the Lord's church, 1 Peter 5, one was guilty at one time or another of having a lack of faith, Matthew 14.31, denying that he knew the Lord, Matthew 26.69-75, through 75, and hypocritically withdrawing himself from Gentiles, 
Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Furthermore, Peter's statements about Lot's righteousness must be considered in their proper context, similar to how Noah was an island of righteousness surrounded by a sea of iniquity, 2 Peter 2, 5. Lot was surrounded by extremely wicked, filthy, lawless citizens of Sodom, 2 Peter 2, 7, and 8. Although Lot was far from perfect, he was not a wicked, lawless, unrighteous citizen of Sodom. He was righteous. Lot separated himself from the unlawfulness of the inhabitants of Sodom and was even tormented, quote, day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds, 2 Peter 2.8. Bit of an excursion in my notes and experience as well. There is a difference between the Christians who have a pure, humble, loving heart struggling with perhaps the scars of their past life and the deep baggage that came with them when they chose to follow the Christ. It could be from one spectrum to the next. And these brethren we love, we minister to, we care for, we suffer long, we are patient, we forgive. And they continued to make progress throughout the weeks and the months and the years and the decades. They truly allow the Christ to transform them into productivity. And these we embrace. But there is a difference between these kinds fateful kinds, and the high-handed, self-righteous, pharisaical, diatrophic, evil workers, heavy-handed oppressors and tyrants, divisive brethren, evil brethren who belong to their paternal sourcing, the devil, a murderer and liar from the beginning. These are quite different. These we must mark and avoid, withdraw from. Remove, they are of a high-handed evil and rebellion. Professional liars, bold-faced liars, slanderers, those who bear false witness. We've known these kinds. These kinds masquerade as angels of light. These kinds are the wolves in sheep's clothing. These kinds do not represent Christ. They are deceivers. They are high-handed hypocrites, and they indeed mirror the behavior and language of this fallen world. These kinds can cause much damage. They must be discerned, marked, avoided, and removed. They are very toxic, filled with malicious intent, sinister agendas, selfish ambitions, nefarious in many ways. These kinds are filled with pride, control, jealousy, greed. They take preeminence and cause much pain in many great areas. That's a difference. There's a difference between the two that I've described there. And if you've lived in the church among Christians long enough, with a humble heart to learn the wisdom God bestows upon us through deep sorrow and pain and discouragement, then you'll come to know these kinds. And it's sad that some brethren can't discern them. But we must. So you can see there. And now, greater insight 
as to why some individuals see these evil types behind the pulpit, in the eldership. And they say to themselves, there is no God, I am an atheist. I want nothing to do with Christianity if that represents Christianity. But it doesn't, and that's where we were making the mistake. Those kinds, those self-righteous hypocrites, Diotrephes, the bully, the one who destroys marriages and friendships and churches, who destroys everything in their path, but then try to sell us a bill of rights speaking of righteousness and humble? No, 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 not at all. There is no God. Atheism is the way. No, see, there's the mistake. Those individuals do not represent Christ. They do not. They represent quite the, the opposite than Christ. They represent their paternal ancestry, the devil. They're evil. Got to get rid of those. We cannot fall into that snare, which is why we must remain discerning. And it is quite important when being genuine and honest for answers to recognize that some who claim to be Christians are not, and some who may be are evil. They do not represent the truth and the love of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. It's one of those things that is commonly said in illustration. You're not going to stop going to the gym because you're going to find unhealthy people there, are you? Don't blame Christ. It's not his fault when people are evil. Okay? So we continue with the article. It says, uh, let me see here. Where were we? Though Lot's offering of his daughters to the sodomites is inexcusable right as it seems where abraham's actions in egypt and gerar when he allowed his wife to be taken by kings in order to preserve his life you can see genesis 12 verses 10 through 20 and chapter 20 verses 1 through 18 genesis 19 clearly indicates the distinction between the righteousness of lot and the wickedness of the inhabitants of sodom you see there's a difference there's a difference and in order to understand that, we must be humble to discern it. There's a difference between Lot and the Sodomites outside. There's a difference between Diotrephes and Demetrius. There's a difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. Um, it continues and says, The Sodomites even hinted at such when they declared that Lot, quote, keeps acting as a judge, Genesis 19.9. This was the distinction Peter made, not that Lot was perfect, but that he remained uncontaminated by the level of intense iniquity prevalent throughout Sodom. Like Christians today who strive to walk in the light, though they are imperfect, 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10, Lot was a righteous man who also made some memorable mistakes right that makes sense okay so we move to number two in verses in which atheists utilize to claim their atheism uh number two quote god told abraham to kill his son well we knew that one was going to come up that, that, that was i use that one all the time as well in my past life oh yeah all right yeah you want me to follow a god who wants a father to give his daughters to be raped 
And here's another father who wants to give his son, who has to murder his own son. Yeah, you want me to follow that, that book, that God? Nah, leave me alone. Right? We speak in ignorance. But there is a sprinkle of justification if it were actually true. <laughs> but is it? Well, that's, what, that's why we're asking questions. That's why we want to find out. This article was written by our brother Eric Lyons, and it's over at apologeticspress.org if you are seeking the source of this material, which points to the scriptures in a reasoning, logical mind. Friends, please consider subscribing, liking, following, sharing, drop a comment, all that kind of good stuff. And please consider signing up to addedsouls.locals.com. That really helps us out. It keeps us moving forward, keeps me and my family motivated with food, shelter, and clothing, right? As we labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ in this mission field. And uh, yeah, get involved with that. It's a really good work. Number two, the article says, God told Abraham to kill his son. Genesis 19.8 is only the proverbial tip of the iceberg of verses atheists contend will make a person an unbeliever. The very next example Penn Gillette gave in his popular six-minute video was, quote, Abraham being willing to kill his son. Not only was Abraham willing to kill his son Isaac, God actually instructed him to do so, saying, quote, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Genesis 22, 2. And you can see how we in our past lives would utilize that location of scripture to point to it, saying, that's why I don't believe in this book or in the God of this book, because he's a lunatic. He's crazy. He's insane. He wants me to kill my children. What are you, nuts? I'm not going to do that. You can see how easily that this, that we can deceive ourselves into that narrative when we don't have independent thought, free-thinking mind to look into it a bit deeper and truly see what's taking place with the contacts here. We keep reading. The article continues, says, The Telegraph of London highlighted this verse as, quote, number eight in its article, quote, top ten worst Bible passages. In his 29, uh, 2009 debate with Kyle Butt, American atheist Dan ba uh, Barker, which I watched, by the way, was very, uh, very revealing, uh, asked the audience to, quote, remember the thing about when Abraham, he, God, asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? By the way, Abraham should have said, quote, no way, I'm better than you. I'm not going to kill my son. This, of course, from Dan as what he would have um, what he would have interpreted as an argument towards Kyle, who was there to defend the truth of the scripture. We move forward. The article says, are Penn Jillette, Dan Barker, and other atheists right? Is this a good Bible verse to use to spread atheism? Should this passage of scripture logically lead people away from the Bible and the God of Abraham to atheism? Right? Prior to the discussion of Genesis 22, one is compelled to ask the atheist upon what basis he deems the killing of a child as wrong or evil. That's something that caught me off guard. I'm like, well, okay, what does make something wrong or right, evil or good, if there is no objective absolute truth to anything, there is no God... There is no up or down, heaven or hell, right or wrong. We're all a bunch of animals who accidentally, spontaneously exploded into something and primordial soup and billions of years. 
how can I, as an atheist, take a solid, objective stance on morality? I have none. I'm a slave to the dance of my DNA. I'm an animal. So I had a problem with that. That was something that was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Hmm, why do we think things are evil or good? Oh, it's a product of evolution. Well, how can that be? And where do you find that process with the, with the scientific model revealing its conclusion? Like, how do we know? How could that make sense? Evolu it's a product of evolution to think right or something's right or something's wrong? How, how can that be, right? All these questions were coming to my mind. The article continues. As leading unbelievers have admitted, atheism logically implies, quote, everything is permitted. It has to. Including murder, by the way. It has to. Do atheists not frequently justify the murder of unborn children? Renowned, athe renowned atheist Peter Singer indicated in, in the year 2000 that it would not even be wrong to kill a disabled child who had already been born. There is an individual who is true to his worldview. A true and pure atheist is going to speak in those ways and do those things. Because he knows he's just an animal, right? He wrote, quote, Killing a disabled infant is not morally equivalent to killing a person. Very often, it is not wrong at all. <coughs> it's not wrong at all? Well, how does he even know what wrong is? Again, that don't exist in the true and pure worldview of atheism. There is no right or wrong. There is no objective reality to anything. It's all subjective. And we can't even think for ourselves. There is no conscience. We just act. We're beasts. We're insects. The article continues. Thus, some of the world's leading atheists have justified murdering human beings, even when doing so means the taking of the only life that a child will have, parentheses, according to naturalistic atheism, which implies that there is no eternal afterlife. So how exactly can atheists objectively and non-hypocritically condemn God and Abraham in Genesis 22? Well, that's a legitimate, sound, reasonable question. Okay. It was a test, the article continues. It was a test. Even still, Genesis 22 poses no real problem. Why? Because God did not actually intend for Abraham to kill his son as a burnt offering. God's command was only a test. Chapter 22, 1. When a mother asks her, her, her young son, parentheses, whom she watched from a distance make a mess, who did this? The question is not asked for inform, uh, informational purposes, right? She's testing her son to see if he will tell the truth and take responsibility for his actions. When a teacher gives her class what appears to be an impossible-to-pass closed-book test, parentheses, the, con the, the contents of which have never been covered in class, the students may initially think their teacher is being terribly unfair. However, the students later learn that the test was actually a test of their character. Who all would be honest and take their F versus who would dishonestly cheat on the test in order to get an A? Interesting question. In the end, those who failed were actually given a hundred, while those who passed were given a zero. 
At first, before all the facts were known, the teacher seemed quite unfair. But in the end, the students learned an important life lesson, while also discovering that their teacher was actually very just and wise, instilling in them some wisdom, some insight, some greater thought and discernment. Scripture reveals that God has occasionally asked questions and made statements that were meant not in the more normal ways, but as teaching moments or tests. In John chapter 6, Jesus asked Philip about the great multitude who followed him, saying, quote, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? John 6 verse 5. But Jesus asked the question, quote, to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Chapter 6 verse 6. Would Philip and the apostles recall that Jesus miraculously had furnished more than a hundred gallons of a tasty beverage at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2 and conclude that Jesus alone could just as easily miraculously feed thousands of people on this occasion if he so desired? Or would the disciples worry themselves with the large number of people and the limited natural resources? Jesus knew that Jesus knew they were uh, not going to purchase food for the multitude, but he still asked the question because it was a test of their faith. He made it a growing moment. And if we're paying attention, you and I, in our faith, in a practical application, we too will recognize the discipline, the challenges, the tests that come through the providential winds of our Lord and Master, so as to refine us more active and productive for His cause as legal citizens of His kingdom. It's important. We keep reading the article. It says, On another occasion, Jesus tested a Gentile woman, right? In Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through, and 20, uh, through 28. Initially and superficially, one might conclude that Jesus was rude and unloving to the woman who asked Him, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. That's in chapter 15, verses 22 through 27. However, many people miss the fact that Jesus was testing this Canaanite woman, while at the same time teaching his disciples, who earlier claimed that the Pharisees were offended at his preaching, right? In chapter 15, verse 12. How the tender-hearted respond to potential offensive truths is, of course, what's taking place. Unlike the hypocritical Jewish scribes and Pharisees who earlier in the chapter responded to Jesus, quote, hard preaching with hard heartedness, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 12, a Gentile woman seeking assistance from Jesus acknowledged her unworthiness and persistently pursued the Holy One for help, even in the face of a difficult, divinely orchestrated test. In the end, Jesus did what he knew he was going to do all along. He healed the humble woman's demon-possessed daughter. And a great many times in the scriptures revealed how the Jewish persuasion were not receiving the Christ and his information. Quite to the contrary, they were rejecting and growing in hostility, of course, to the boiling point in which they delivered the Christ to the hands of godless men to have him murdered. But the Gentiles the foreigners, the heathens, the pagans, the Greek, those outside the full and blessing of the covenant, they, they were humble to seek the Christ, desperate 
Interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting. We continue with the article. It says, so what does all of this have to do with Abraham in Genesis chapter 22? Well, simply that God never actually wanted Abraham to sacrifice his son any more than Jesus wanted his disciples to purchase bread to feed thousands of people, or that, or than he wanted to withhold healing from a Gentile woman's daughter. Abraham's faith was tested, and he passed the test without ever killing Isaac, Hebrews eleven seventeen. In fact, had Abraham actually killed Isaac, he would have dis disobeyed God, since at the moment when Abraham was about to slay his son, quote, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. Genesis 22, verses 11 and 12. Admittedly, God's test of Abraham was a deep and difficult experience for the patriarch. But keep in mind that God knew all along, number one, it was a test, and number two, that the passing of the test did not actually include Abraham killing Isaac. The patriarch demonstrated such great trusting commitment to God that he would be willing not to withhold, chapter 22, verse 12, even his most precious promised son, if that is what his master asked of him. Such complete trust is what God wants from anyone who seeks after him. Matthew 16, 24, 25, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. And it's, again, quite revealing how the Father sent the Son to be murdered on a cruel Roman cross for the redemptive path opened upon mankind. It's a matter of the heart, man. I'm telling you, it's a matter of the heart. It's a motive of the heart. It's a motive of the heart. We can keep piling on all kinds of bureaucratic red tape and policies and enforce all sorts of law upon mankind. Over here in this fallen nation, we got more than enough laws. Why is murder still ramping up? every day it's a matter of the heart the heart of the people they think themselves animals and so they act like animals we've taught our children in school you're nothing but animals there is no god and we deceivingly call that science and that ain't science and our children they grew up believing they were animals and acting like it it's the whole Gentile world all over, all over again, uh, Paul spoke about to his brethren in Rome, chapter 1. That's what's going on. Really. That's it. That's how that works. Okay, well, let me see here. Are we going to have time to go through number 3, 4? We might keep those ones for next time. 3, 4... Yeah, we'll save those for next time. We're at 47 minutes, approximately. We'll keep the article, we'll keep moving forward with this session and make it a two-part series, if you will. Next Thursday, Lord willing, we'll keep looking at these verses that individuals claim is the reason they are atheist. And again, I can understand that looking at my past life and how I, too, observed those verses and utilized it as arsenal 
against the belief in a god, right? There's just no way. But when you reason with it, and you open it up, and you have discussion, you can truly, genuinely see, yeah, okay, okay, now I, now I see how this makes sense, truly. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Can't say that enough. <laughs> um, what do we want our youth to um, live Christianity from their heart and their mind? Of course we do. Why do our children come uh, with us? Is it because, how, well, how should I put this? Let me, I want to word it uh, in a way that uh, makes sense here. Okay, when I utilize the illustration of our sociopolitical laws, right? I mean, the law here in this land says murder is against the law. Yet murder keeps going up and up and up and up and up every other day. Why? The law says you can't. The law says you can't murder, yet murder is still going up. What's the problem here? It doesn't matter how many more laws you put in place to say murder is wrong. People are still murdering and doing so more and more and more. Uh, matter of fact, uh, not too far from here, a few days ago, a woman was stabbed to death by three individuals in her home. And I, I actually know the location from my past life. It is a location you go for, you know, a lot of individuals on hardcore narcotics. Well, what's the problem? The law says murder's wrong. The law says in this land, if you murder, you get caught, you go to jail. But yet murder keeps ramping up. Because it's because the problems with the heart of the people, that's why. That's why, and that's where Pharisees miss it. You want to cultivate a congregation with a vibrant and passionate membership who want to live the lifestyle of Christ-like doctrine. It's. It's a matter of the heart. Look at what Jesus was speaking about in his sermon on the mount. You all say you're not guilty of adultery because you do not outwardly practice the physical, literal act of intercourse with another woman that don't belong to you. So therefore you think you are clean because you've outwardly obeyed the law to that format, which is good, by the way. You should. But here's the corruption. In your heart, you lust after other women, and in your heart are guilty of adultery, which severs you from eternal life. So it's more than the law, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You say, well, I'm not guilty of murdering my brother. I've never outwardly, literally, physically murdered my brother. What's the problem? Well, the problem is within your heart, you hate him. That's where we miss the mark a great many times. Spirit and truth. If you only have the right motive, but participate in, the, in, a, in a, the wrong doctrine, you're lost. If you have the right doctrine, but you don't have the right motive of the heart, you're lost. It doesn't matter how much law we bind on each other. It's a matter of the heart. Many congregations have become the subordinate 
uh, um, uh, slaves to the head oppressor and tyrant behind the pulpit. Why? Because they miss it. They think salvation is in the law, and because the head tyrant thinks he knows the law, he thinks salvation is within himself and now has the power to condemn you if you don't get in line with his ordinances, his own academic pursuits, his opinions, his scruples, his whatever he wants to bind on you. It, it's more than the law, <laughs> okay? And we have to understand that in regards to, of course, this discussion. Um, but yeah, to that end. Anyway, all of that. Wrapping up, friends, I appreciate you a great deal. Please consider subscribing, following, liking, sharing, drop a comment. Please consider signing up to addedsouls.locals.com. You can sign up there. It's our freedom community. There is exclusive content if you choose to support. It really helps the Added Souls studio move forward through the Maya family as we labor alongside the East Coast Church of Christ. You can check out the .com, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com. We also have a Facebook page, East Coast Church of Christ. If you'd like to sit down and study with us, by all means, reach out to me. If you have concerns, questions, please reach out to me. We can have a video chat, a phone call. Um, uh, we can have email exchange, whatever. Uh, all of that all of that good stuff, okay? Um, tomorrow, we shall see what's taking place, Lord willing, for our sociopolitical conversations on Fridays. We go live from Monday to Friday, right? 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. And if you look at the show notes, you'll see the theme of the episode, the session at hand. Uh, and so I truly send your way a wonderful weekend. Please be safe. Do things the right way. And um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just to make sure you all understand where I got this article here. Over at apologeticspress.org, the title of the article is Atheist Making Bible Verses. You need to know it was written by our brother, Eric Lyons. And uh, today, you and I, we went through three um, points, uh, I think, right? Or two. Was it two? Yeah, two of them. Uh, we'll keep looking at more uh, next time around, Lord willing, next week. Stay focused, stay positive. Till next time, peace out.